Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great movies, so many great conversations. But it's a lot of work. Producing this show week after week does require a lot behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We had some great films in Season 8 that started their lives as books or plays, and you can find all of them on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can find links to purchase all the source material behind the adapted films we covered from season one up through our current season. For part of season eight, we had a series celebrating the 50th anniversary of films from 1968. We talked about 2001 and 2010 for our Odyssey series, both adapted from Arthur C. Clarke's novels. Man, the second one was so much better than the first, right? Don't you even get me started. <sighs> Need I bring up Under the Cherry Moon again? Yes, also so much better. <laughs> wait, wait, no, that's not what I... <sighs> Planet of the Apes kicked off its series based on the novel by Pierre Boulet. We covered Danger Diabolic and The Detective, adapted from novels for our 1968 crime films. Wait, wasn't that The Detective the prequel to Die Hard? They were both written by Roderick Thorpe, and yes, it's the same character in the books. I can't believe they even asked Sinatra if he'd be in Die Hard. That would have been yeah. weird. <laughs> Uh, Once Upon a Time in America was part of our Leone Once Upon a Time trilogy, adapted from Harry Gray's novel. And we looked at 1968 Best Picture nominees The Lion in Winter, Rachel Rachel, Romeo and Juliet, and Oliver! We also had an Ingrid Bergman series with adaptations like Spellbound, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Murder on the Orient Express, and Gaslight. We haven't talked about Gaslight. Stop gaslighting me! <laughs> Dive deeper into these books and more adapted films at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the podcast. Get the full list of adaptations that we've covered on all the Next Real family of podcasts and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals.
This is The Next Reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies tonight on the show. The King is Dead. Long live the King. It's World War III in Rocky IV. Today, the Soviet Union has officially entered professional boxing. This is not just an exhibition fight. This is us against them. He would like to compete against anyone who is qualified. Drago is the most perfectly trained athlete ever. Whatever he hits, he destroys. So, Andy, I think it's fair to say, and I just want to get this out uh, out before we get into the into the movie. I want you to know that I recognize we have hit what you might call a low point in the series. Is that what this is? <laughs> <laughs> I. I was, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I like your tone yet. <laughs> <laughs> or if you can read my tone. <laughs> yeah, no, this is right. It, it, I was, um, I was surprised uh, because my memory of this movie is much better than my experience with it this time. But I have to say, I watched it with my son and he was on the edge of his seat with this movie, which is exactly how I remember being when I saw it. Now that that's out, how did you like Rocky Four? So, okay, well, <laughs> my first my first note that I was going to uh, throw your way, um, I, I guess I'm glad to hear you say that because at the beginning of all of this series, or I should say at the end of Rocky, when we were discussing yeah. that, you said... Uh, that it's you know it's it's one of your favorites, but it's not your favorite of the of the whole franchise. And after watching this, I'm like, please don't let me hear him say that Rocky Four is his favorite. <laughs> <It's> Rocky Four. <laughs> this was the best. <laughs> I was I was really worried. Oh, I should have just... opened with that. Oh, I should have carried that longer. Mm, regret. The other the other thing that I wanted to uh, say. Well, I have a question for you. Yeah, is this the only Rocky film? that is going to have a robot in it or will we see this robot pop up again <laughs> the robot was not a great choice i'm just no i have a point i want i'm just okay. wondering i <laughs> or do I you remember <laughs> i don't i honestly don't remember but i don't think even at the time i don't think the robot went over very well but i will say robots were the jam back then and in fact my dad who had a great job in journalism at this time in our history actually invested in he bought a robot named norton that was sort of a cross between the robot that we see sexy polly's robot and this uh, and like r2d2 and he was hired to go to trade shows and stand in the corner and run this robot that had a little voice thing he could talk into a microphone and it would come out the robot he would stand behind a curtain and like sell boats at trade shows so robots were huge at this <laughs> at this time like robots that were really robots they were just like re giant remote control things and uh this is a big deal so i don't think we should bag on the robot too much it's well, and uh, there's a reason it's in here, and I appreciate the reason, if not the uh, the story point. So here's here's my brief story. I uh, I don't know when this was. I would say maybe college or post college. I was flipping around on TV trying to find something to watch, and I came across a Rocky movie. And by this point, I had seen 
the first Rocky movie, which I liked. And I, I, I came upon a Rocky movie. It had Sylvester Stallone and a robot. <laughs> and I saw this and I only watched it for about 30 seconds. And I said to myself, wow, that series really fell off a cliff. <laughs> and I never went back. <laughs> and that this moment, uh, if it's this, unless it's in Rocky five and there's contention for which film I actually saw. Uh, this is p- perhaps the reason why I never bothered coming back to the Rocky franchise. <laughs> At this point, Andy, all bets are off. <laughs> uh, well, but I will say, as as awful as the robot was in this film, yeah, uh, it it didn't sour my overall uh, taste for the film, which isn't a great movie, but it was still an entertaining ride. I'm so relieved to hear that uh, because there are some things I again, I told you I was an apologist. I came out hard a little bit against the movie, mostly to set myself up because of that whole <laughs> 2001 thing that we had a problem with. Uh, and I don't want to be that guy again. I've got enough. I got enough. I'm just saying I recognize where this movie is and I'm still an apologist for the uh, for for the final fight. It's not a terribly well-written movie. I think Stallone's portrayal of Rocky has completely come off the rails. He's like, he's just not the same character. Look at him side by side with with the original Rocky, and he's not the same guy. Um, Like, this is not an evolution of that character. But boy, does he want you to think he is, because you would get enough (laughs) montages showing clips from all those previous films. Yes. Yes. And and I wonder if that's not if that wasn't at least, you know, uh, not if not intentional, subliminal, uh, because it's it's super clear that he wants to he's he's a great pretender in this movie. And the lines that he has, you see, he just doesn't deliver them the same way, even as he's trying to grasp that same sort of banter that he he did so well in the first movie that I like so much. So it, it's not it's not great. I the tiger is back in the beginning of the movie with some massive gloves this time and and a massive glove explosion. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and and really, I mean, thank God we've got this formula down and we recap the the movie from last time. It's a formula, but again, I really fell in love with the the opening titles in the first two films where it was the massive title across the screen mm-hmm. um, that kind of scrolled across. I just thought that was such a cool way to begin these. And these last two films have really disappointed me that we've left that off. And so I, uh, I was hurt a little bit again that I, not only did I not see it, but I had to deal with these exploding boxing gloves, punching each other yeah. <laughs> in, in its place. <laughs> no, it wasn't great. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't great, but it weirdly, it made me laugh and chuckle. So this <laughs> this is this movie. It's like, what are they doing? But it was so nonsensical. That's like, okay, it's kind of weirdly enter- entertaining. Yeah, yeah. No, good. I'm glad you're seeing this with the right uh, with the right light. I think you're seeing this in the right light. We we do have uh, I the Tiger back. We've got some this this is I if this had been made today and was better. This movie might very well have been in the uh, best musical or comedy movie category. Like Oof. there's there's a lot of music in this movie. 
a lot of musical montages and straight up musical numbers that are in this movie that I think we we need to talk about at some level because that is really what this movie I think is known for in if if you want to say this critical circles this movie is terrible because of the absolute betrayal of narrative that comes in the hands of montage yeah there's I I was wondering I'm like how much story is actually here if we cut all these these montages out, I feel like it's probably hitting an hour. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel I mean, but that's how I felt. You know, I walked out going, OK, there's two thirds of that was movie and a third of it was just recaps and highlights of everything else. In in that light, Andy, I have an exercise that I would like to walk through with you. We're going to call I, this a little bit of a meditation. Can we do that? Uh, yeah, I, let's I, meditate. Uh, well, I mean, you don't have to actually close your eyes or anything, oh. but I want to run through the montages because I I feel like unless we name them, unless we call out our demons, unless we put words to these things, we can't really understand them. And so we want to try to understand exactly what they were doing. So I would like you to reflect as I talk about what was going on in this movie, like at the time of the montages, what are the montages doing? Uh, my hope is that you will actually go through and tell me how you think this montage moved the movie forward and make okay. a case. Can you do that? Okay. All right. I can, I'll do my best. Montage number one, Andy. The first montage is the Exploding Gloves and the Rocky Three recap, which is mostly a recap. We know it's part of the formula. I still think it counts as a montage. And it runs for two minutes. It's it does count, and because it's it is recapping just like the previous two films did the events of the last film, like the final moments of the last film. So, and and I think Rocky, the first film, is well, I shouldn't say the first film, but the second film established this as a montage trope that now I guess we come to expect in the Rocky films, which is strange, but it's there. Yeah, and so we we sort of have to have to adopt it. So this one, I think we think we say as part of formula, it is a fair montage. It it reminds us, it gets us into the story, it reminds us where we were a couple of years ago, and now we're there. Was that is that kind of unnecessary? Just like the last few, but yes, <laughs> but, right, it fits, but it fits. It's fits, part of it. Yeah, it fits this world. The next montage is not actually a montage. It is, in fact, one of the uh, extended musical numbers. This is Apollo Creed and James Brown, while they're they're demonstrating for us that they are, in fact, living in America. <laughs> it is two minutes and 50 seconds of stage elements moving around and James Brown doing a bit. I don't think it's fair to say stage elements moving around. <laughs> it is much more <laughs> elaborate and impressive than that. It is, it is a boxing yeah. ring elevating from the, the floor. Uh, boxing, and that's it a is, very cool sequence, too, it is right? great. Yeah. And then a, uh, uh, I can't even remember now, but what what is Apollo coming down on? A giant uh, from bull. From the rafters. Yeah, a giant bull. And in, the horns in are his, moving. And... He's, he's in his fantastic... Uh, you know, Uncle Sam outfit. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It this works in context of the story because we're setting up an exhibition boxing match, and this is part of the show. So I think yeah. that this is a fair element to have. Maybe a little long. It is basically a full music video of yep. uh, James Brown's "Living in America." Not necessary, but uh, to that end, at least I can say it fits in context of what they're trying to do here. Excellent. I'm really glad to hear you say that. I feel like narratively, this is the sequence, even at almost three minutes, this is the sequence that demonstrates the dramatic contrast that Stallone is trying to set up here between Russia and 
America. And oh, very it's, much so. It's gross, but it's exactly what we need to uh, to get ready for this to this exhibition fight. So good. I'm glad we agree on that. The next is I just legi- I will say yeah I will say I'm a little disappointed that we did not get in a later montage the Russian version of James Brown <laughs> doing their own version of this scene. Instead, it's basically like just a, the Russian national anthem or whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I would it's, love it's to have seen. It's former Soviet national anthem. Right? <laughs> what is that scene? Yeah. If it was that <laughs> Living Russian James in Brown Siberia. performing. <laughs> um, okay. So that that's that's good. We're okay. So far, we are two for two. Montage one, montage two, it down. Montage number three is, I think, where we're, we're going to start to have uh, we're, the, the, the boards are going to get squeaky. Here on on montage number three, we're in Rocky's car and now we have effectively a recap of Rocky's one, two and three. And it lasts a full four minutes and 25 seconds. This is this is the recap where he's just had a fight with Adrian because Mm -hmm. he's going to Russia and And didn't tell her and he didn't tell her and she's upset. And doesn't want him to go. And now he leaves. It, is, it was a weird montage because it starts as kind of this, you know, thinking about his fight. But then it goes to uh, his feelings about Apollo. And then you get all these flashbacks of him and Apollo. And then it shifts mid montage to his relationship with Adrian. <laughs> and it, then it kind of blends it all together. And it becomes this weird amalgam montage of every relationship Rocky's had over the last three films, three and a right, This and is his films. life flashing before his eyes. Like literally we see the whole thing. I, uh, this was, uh, this is where it really began for me to go, <laughs> go down. It's like, wow, where are we going here? It was, it was poorly done. It was uninteresting. And, it's something that could have been done in so many other ways that would have been so much cleaner. It was, um, you know, I, I understand it was like post death of Apollo. So he's thinking about Apollo and he's making decisions, perhaps a little brashly that he shouldn't. But um, and then obviously the relationship with Adrian, but the way that it was all blended, it just like he could have actually had several scenes in here instead of this montage that I think could have captured all of that in much stronger ways. So this one is a fail for me. It is a fail. I, I agree with you. It is a fail. The song uh, is, I I think uh, it's not too on the nose to say that it was called No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper. And that is exactly <laughs> what we're seeing and what we are experiencing uh, as we watch this montage. The uh, I, I think it's interesting because you made the comment that this was essentially a full music video for Living in America with James Brown. And now here immediately we have another full music video as if they just couldn't figure out how are we going to cut it? Let's just play the whole four minute and 25 minute, 25 seconds song. Yeah. And that's a really interesting creative choice. It's not a great one for my experience with the film, but it's an interesting one all the same. So it, it, it did not work for me either. How about montage number four? This is the Rocky arrives in Russia. This is actually slightly less than three minutes after the previous montage. <laughs> this is when the real roller coaster of montages uh, sets in, because now you know you're not getting off the montage train. We get to Russia. Uh, Survivor's Burning Heart is playing, uh, and the plane touches down in Russia, and the snow, and the communists are there, and they are very clearly communists because of the severe look on their face and their outfits, and the snow that is piled unevenly around their shoulders uh, as if they were rolling around in it. 
at, at one point um and maybe frolicking we didn't see that part and um and, and then that then we that's supposed to demonstrate that we are now in siberia how did this uh, montage hit you i guess it was underwhelming because i don't remember much of it um it doesn't stand out as a montage i think that it could have just been an arrival scene and i this is one where i i without re-watching it to say oh it's definitely montage i actually don't recall this one being a montage i feel like this is just scenes of arrival yeah i think it's i think it's the combination of music it's scenes of arrival but it's also it's scenes of travel right it's it's their travel sure. and it's a full two minutes and 40 seconds of yeah. scenes of travel that's in montage territory all right all right yeah I, that's it's fine i just don't recall it which i guess speaks plenty to yes. Well, luckily, I, I think we get into the uh, some official, hey, we're Rocky, we invented montages, we're going to keep going with montages. And now we're going <laughs> to do what you what you're waiting for. And that is the training montage part one. We're now in Russia. It's just a, just a little bit less than four minutes after the last montage. And uh, <laughs> we're here talking. This is Rocky saying that he knows what he needs to do and he's going to do it now in Siberia. And I'm guessing this is the first half up until Adrian shows up. Y yes, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So okay. part one is up until Adrian arrives. I can't remember uh, other than it starts with him running. Yes. And then there's some oxen stuff. He tries to pick up the. He helps a guy whose horse is stuck in like. Yes. In a snowbank. Take his horse out. Yeah, because <laughs> because these are the people, these natives to Siberia are people who weren't prepared to get themselves out of snowbanks. This one, I mean, it's a training montage. This is now we're getting into territory where. It's stuff we've seen in the previous films, and it's so to that end, it works. It's part of the Rocky world, seeing these training montages. I just wonder, like, if this training <laughs> montage, you know, what he's training with, he's cutting down trees with an axe, right? He's carrying logs on his shoulders. And how well did you see those exercises as the sort of karate kid wax on, wax off? Um, you know, did you see the notable tree chopping swings when he finally gets into the ring in the big fight later? Like, how did how well did he see? Was he actually <laughs> training for a fight or was he training for the end of days? <laughs> well, and that was my question. I'm like, why? Is this how he has to train? Like, one, why come to Russia to train? Why not just train in the U.S. and then fly to Russia for the fight? I felt like that was that sped by really quickly. I never really understood that. I'm like, what? why are we in, spending all this time in Russia now? And then, two, like, why train this way in the first place? Like you said, we're not seeing these axe chopping moves in his fight later it just looks like another boxing match like i really wanted duke to be in the corner yelling chop the tree chop the tree rock you know that's what i needed yeah because i felt like rocky uh three uh when when apollo is training him um i felt like i'm seeing these steps that apollo taught him and just yes. kind of the fast foot moves and everything i can see how he incorporated that into everything but by the time we're in this i'm like i i don't know what he's doing like what is he gaining from this it's like I, and i was trying to figure what they're saying like okay the russians uh, well I, clearly i think what they were saying was very much something of the 80s this whole mentality of the what the russians were versus the u.s and the you know i think that it was this this uh prototypical example of of who each side was and how the the russians were so cold and almost like robotic and everything and the americans 
I, I don't know, we're more grounded and, and we speak for the trees. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> it's definitely not true, but no. still. <laughs> Uh, you know, but you know, he's but it's he's non technological, and I think there's something about that that um, was less maybe a comment on who Rocky was, but more a comment on the Russians being kind of this robotic evil presence, you know. Well, and I think that's exactly right, especially at the at the time, you know, I mean, that's what we're trying to set up is, you know, this is this is straight up Cold War storytelling. For me, that's the only logical reason that he put that he decided that Rocky had to train this way. It it seems super silly to me because it seems like they have to come up with so much more work in order to actually make it happen. Like, OK, well, now we got to put all these rocks <laughs> in this net so that then you can finally be in a place where you're actually lifting it to to do your strength training. He's he's got a lot of work to do because he's building a gym and then he's going to train in it. <laughs> and you'll notice he's training in the outside, beautiful, lush green of Russia, while the Russians are using science and they're training in only red rooms because uh, communism, I guess. Like, what do they when they it's like they're training in dark rooms. All they do is train in a dark room. I found that fantastic. Well, I guess we find out from this film. This is why um, the modern mentality is science is bad, apparently. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Everything goes back to the streets, as we'll find yes. out. Yeah, coming soon. Now, so we're talking about Montage 5. If you're keeping score, this montage was three minutes and 40 seconds. It was only three minutes uh, after the last montage. And now we're moving into, as as Andy said, uh, Adrian shows up and there is an I missed you thing yeah. uh, scene that is only 75. You, yes, I'm only. it's only 75 seconds long. And then we are full on into montage number six training montage two. this montage is uh almost a minute longer uh four minutes and 15 seconds and it's really the same thing as montage five but it's rocky with a beard i feel like it's a trope of climbing the mountain uh, as the kind of the 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 final sign that you've achieved something you know it's, yes. it's that moment <laughs> yes. where you get that the wobbly helicopter shot following yeah. So, uh, you know, and uh, an extra his his double <laughs> as he runs up the mountaintop and yeah. screams from the top. <laughs> Drago! Drago! Well, you know, they this is you can feel this like you, you thought the steps in Philadelphia were cool. You thought the steps with a thousand children in Philadelphia were cool. <laughs> you, you thought running on the beach with yeah. Apollo Creed <laughs> was cool. Beach was cool in our half shirts. Uh, Where do you see me climbing the top of this mountain? So do you think this mo this montage uh, was uh, an aid to the film? Did it move the film forward in a way that was satisfying to you? Well, here's the thing with the, with the these two training montages, which all told is about seven or eight minutes of screen time. They're great. Like, I appreciate the montages in Rocky films. The training montage is necessary. Is eight minutes of it necessary? Yeah, I think that's right. a stretch. And so that's the dilemma I have here where I, I appreciate what they're doing, but it, they don't need to be nearly as long as they are. It just it felt like, OK, come on. I get it. He's training. He've he's caught the chicken. Let's move on. But again, how where else would you have an opportunity if you don't manufacture it like they did here to play the song Hearts on Fire by John Cafferty? Hearts on fire while we're actually seeing Rocky's metaphorical heart on fire. Yeah. It was made for the screen, Andy. 
it was made <laughs> for the screen. The the next montage, and I say next and not final intentionally, the next montage is actually montage seven, and that is uh, something we've gotten used to over the last uh, three movies, the World War Three montage. This is the big fight montage. So we start out with a little bit in the fight, and then we montage our way to the final round, whatever that final scene uh, <laughs> sequence is, that is, is going very to look much like. Become, yeah, very much become a Rocky uh, uh, expectation, I suppose. Absolutely. What did you think of this montage? It, I mean, it, it fits. I mean, this one, I didn't have any problem with it because it felt like the climactic battle, the climactic fight in a Rocky film. I think so, too. And I actually really like how they they uh, how they actually showed some change in Drago's character over the course of this as he decides as he becomes he actually transitions from being a ward of the state, right? Um, a tool of of you know the Soviet Union to being his own man, mano a mano in the ring in Russia, and he uh, you know he picks up the guy. I don't know how he he has a grip in his glove to be able to pick up a guy by his neck, uh, his <laughs> trainer by his neck. I feel like that was a bit of a reach, but otherwise I really like that. Um, you know he learns very quickly that this man is iron, and that's when we see that Rocky, his defining characteristic as a boxer is that he can take a hit. He can take a hit longer than any other boxer can throw, uh, and that's what allows him to to stand upright until the very end. And we get to see that in spades, and it's very exciting, and it's edge of your seat kind of fighting. We get a lot yeah. more slow motions in this montage. It's a, very, it's a lot of spit and blood. Slow and, motions, freeze frames, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good stuff. It's all good. I feel like this is this is a highlight montage that I actually I I like. All right. Okay. And is that the last one? Oh, you said it wasn't the last one. You know, I'm I'm on the fence about this one. What what I'm calling montage number eight is victory and the Rocky Four recap montage, uh, which is an interesting strategy because we had a recap of Rocky Three in the beginning, and now we're going to go ahead and just start recapping Rocky Four in the end credits. After we've just seen it, this is a new addition to the to the Rocky formula that we haven't uh, experienced before, uh, where we just get, you know, freeze frames and things from the movie we just saw. And that's four minutes and 45 seconds. What do you think of the closing credits? Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it a montage. I mean, I guess I guess it is, but it's over the credits. It's it's just images of the film. Mm -hmm. I can see why it. some people would label it that way, especially in a film that's so montage heavy but um i don't know i guess i don't i wouldn't fight for this one being a montage and to that end i guess i don't have a problem with it because it's just it's just closing okay. credits imagery either way so let's just say we take the total running time of the movie including yeah. the, the four minutes and 45 seconds of of credits at 91 minutes and 20 seconds and the total montage time if you add all those up including that final montage of 29 minutes and 10 seconds like that is egregious wow, use right. of montage and you were exactly right it's Holy 30 per, it's over 30 percent almost 32 percent of the movie is straight up musical montage i totally did not think that was the case i just yeah. felt like it was the case <laughs> I'm surprised that I actually was right. I, I have to give credit to Steve McCutcheon, who wrote a fantastic uh, blog post with time code back in 2009 uh, that I, I found. And he's extremely well detailed. I'll put the link in the show notes. And, and uh, he has some funny commentary, too, on each of these montages. And so we've I've adapted his uh, 
uh, his work, but want to give him full credit because it's a great, great, very extensive blog post on these montages. That's cool. There you go. So now we've gone through the montages overall. Um, your sense of use of montage to move the movie forward. And I'm going to add to this, has Rocky IV inspired you to use more montages in your own projects? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. If anything, it uh, it's good. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like too much of a good thing. You know, you you yeah. have some great uses of montage in the previous films. And by this point, Sylvester Stallone, he's been directing enough of these where you feel like, OK, he should have a better handle on this than he does. But for whatever reason, as the writer, director, star uh, writer, director, producer, I mean, multiple hat wearing uh, person involved in this franchise who's really kind of the the foundation of this franchise i, I don't know i i feel like he's almost writing the rocky films for a younger mindset because i can see how younger impressionable kids like when you were a kid or your son now were watching this it is a really engrossing story and you can totally ride along with all the 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 silliness and and the characters who by this point have have left very much behind the characters they were in the original film from nine years previously that were really interesting uh, characters in a 70s film that uh, were very exciting and interesting to kind of follow. Here it is, they are, they are very, um, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but they're very um, very much kind of stereotypical types of characters that we would expect to find to the point where it's almost like they he's writing them to the stereotypes. And and it, for me, it hurts the characters. It makes them so much less interesting. But for younger minds who are watching it, it makes it much easier to digest and because you can instantly see who these characters are and understand them. And when you have, for us, these characters like Polly, who have been really interesting characters in the past films and have had some really interesting scenes, um, all of a sudden, like he's dealing with this this silly robot and just the nonsensical stuff. And then he's got, I guess, what's supposed to be like this powerful moment with Rocky where he's talking to him about, I always looked up to you. And if I could step out of my skin, you're the you're who I'd want to be uh, only to set it up as a joke for when he sees um, uh, Drago. And he's just like, I take it all back. And I was like, this is what has become of this franchise. It was it was really disappointing. Yeah, Polly has been really reduced to reaction shots, you know, and there's one line re reaction shots. We don't get any of the, even the, 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 you know, opening two minutes of the last movie where we get that great sequence that, um, you know, felt so great, really showcasing Polly and how he's fallen and is struggling. And then it just falls apart. And we don't get any of that here. And, and he is reduced to a foil for a robot um, that, that just doesn't play. Um, and I, so I, I really struggle with that. Yeah, I would I would say that Apollo of any of the characters, Apollo actually delivers on um, on on who his character was um, in, in the earlier films. I think I think even, Carl Weathers actually did a fine job here. I think so. But even there, I found it to be written to a much um, simpler, more heightened state than it could have been. Like if this was Rocky from the 70s, I felt like it would have been a little cleaner with how uh, Apollo was presented here. I think that his his uh, I get I get everything that's happening here, but I felt like 
his speech to Rocky when he's, you know, that little speech when he convinces Rocky to to um, do this with him. I felt like it was just a little um, he like Stallone as the writer was playing to the stereotypes a little too strongly and being too on the nose. And that was my frustration um, because, I mean, I, I do agree. I think it is one of the more interesting character beats for this film, this aging boxer who believes that he can do it and wants and still loves the excitement of being in the ring and doing all the press conferences and all that. But it's just it's not written well. It's so on the nose that it it, it was it was disappointing and it took away the power for me. And weirdly, the whole film does. It takes the power away of Apollo dying, which should be this really powerful thing and this heavy thing. And by the time we get to the end of the film, we've completely lost track that this is the whole reason Rocky came over here in the first place. And now it's all of a sudden it's this peacekeeping mission, like let's build a better world. I'm like, oh, okay, what happened to Apollo and your reason for being here? It was it was odd. I'm so, um, yeah, I'm really glad you said that. That was a, a point I wanted to, to bring up uh, a, a little bit later, which is the the central motivation of the of the film, right? The the big turning point that drives us toward this, you know, conflict in Russia is completely discarded at the end of the movie. Like there's just all of the heart is sucked out of it when he starts doing this, this peacekeeping, I can change, we can change speech. And uh, it's, uh, I feel a great sense of loss for this character that I'd really, I, I really appreciated and had an affinity for in Carl Weathers performance. And that I feel like he was just discarded and that the movie does no sense to honor what they did to that character in the first 30 minutes. It'll be nice to revisit this conversation when we get around to the Creed films. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, apparently, Hugo Boss is a sponsor, and so is Toomey. <laughs> Those were two brands that I did not expect to see highlighted quite so so boldly uh, in this <laughs> in this movie. You got to get someone to help. <laughs> yeah. Especially when do you notice on the sign, like the big Apollo Creed Ivan Drago match is second billing to Wayne Newton, which I thought yeah. was so good. Well, I thought it was like the Wayne Newton stage. Like I, I, I looked at that and I, I maybe oh, I just missed okay. it. Maybe I, I, I could it. be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's, it's funny either way seeing Wayne Newton's name so big up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's taking us to Russia, I think, was actually a, a was was a good idea. I mean, I thought that was it was nice to get a change of pace. You know, we we've done Philly and we've trained on the streets, and then we've done L.A. and we've learned some new things. This was a, uh, I, I think there was, I, I I get the feeling that the movie was was on the cusp of getting out of its own way by just taking us to a new locale. Right, you get rid of all the conversation about montages and seeing Rocky in this sort of fish out of water experience. There was promise uh there there's promise watching him in, in sort of a new state it's funny because my wife was sitting with me half watching as we were going and we got to russia and the training montages kicked in and she looked up and she's like this is the only thing i remember about this movie yeah is this is this part where he's it's him training in the snow and then as it continues she's like yeah it's him pushing the log and him <laughs> him with a beard uh doing this whatever it was in the in the barn like lifting with the string and he's doing the yeah yeah one of those things 
So this is like, that's all I remember. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, it, yeah. it was different. It. And, but it's, it's, I felt like they were doing some, they were like, we have to do something different, change it up. Uh, you know, this was very much a thing of sequels in the eighties. What can we do that's similar, but change it up? Like the third one, let's go to LA. We'll train on the beach. We'll do mm-hmm. it out there. Now it's like, let's go to the snow. We're going to train in the snow. And and yeah, it, it's a change of pace. And if it fits the formula, a formula that's worked and, and you get a little bit of a feeling that's Stallone at this point in his career after, you know, finishing up shooting first blood, he, uh, part two, he comes out and he says, I think we can just go straight to the bank with this one. I think we can just throw in a bunch of clips from the first movies and we're going to take Rocky and we're going to go to the bank. Yep. And that's going to be great. And that's what it feels like. I, I was wondering if, if you could uh, reflect on uh, the parenting angle of this movie. Rocky Four as a as a lesson in parenting uh, with uh, Rocky Jr. at home with his buddies. He's completely destroyed Polly with whipped cream. Kid totally needed to be punished <laughs> after that. Some riding some sort of robot consequences riding around the robot and uh, Rocky. What what do you think of the angle of Rocky with his kid? I like that Rocky as a character is more than just this boxer. Like there's there are interesting elements to him. I like the sides we get of him with Adrian. I think there's a really interesting and tender relationship there, and I really enjoy that uh, when it's being developed. I like seeing him as a father. I thought it was actually pretty interesting the way that that played out. And some of these scenes between the two were were kind of cute and everything. I, I guess I didn't have issues with it. I didn't think too much of it. But the only thing that really stuck in my mind was, you know, I would I would hate to be. And, you know, this is just my mentality. I not putting boxers down by any stretch of the imagination. Um I, but I personally would not want to be a boxer as a father because I would hate to, I, I feel like that would put a, an, an odd mentality about, about just, you know, fighting and like, you know, playground fights and stuff with my kid. And, and maybe that's the wrong mentality to be thinking about, but that's kind of where my head is with it. And uh, granted, I, I think that he's doing a really good job and he's kind of showing his kid that. It's not necessarily about fighting, and I think they have some nice little conversations. Um, and then there's the fight where he's watching, he and his buddies are watching, and I'm like, eh, okay, I don't know. I, I wasn't quite convinced by that point, but I liked the stuff before that. Some of the little lines, right? Hey, that's my dad. And one of the friends that sits up straight and says, what do you think we are, nerds? <laughs> yeah, those were the moments. Yeah, yes. those are the troublesome moments. It was better It was better father and son. I felt like there was okay. not good sense of who these kids were when he was writing just for the kids to be interacting with each other. Uh, we've got to talk about Dolph Lundgren and Brigitte Nielsen as Captain Ivan Drago and Ludmilla Vobit Drago. Um. The pair. What do you think? I well, I think let's just uh, get Brigitte out of the way quickly. I mean, it's not a big part here. It's interesting enough. I think the standout for me is that this is the year that she kind of uh, came to the Hollywood scene with this and Red Sonia, and um, and meet Sylvester Stallone, and then they end up getting married, acting in Cobra together, and then getting divorced <laughs> shortly mm-hmm. after that. Uh, I, you know, I thought she was fine. I don't, uh, I, I was looking through her, her filmography and I realized I don't think I've seen anything else of hers. Um, 
feel like I probably saw Beverly Hills Cop too, but I just remember nothing about that film. You have but to have every, seen Beverly Hills I, Cop. I'm sure what? I have. I'm sure I have. But I just yeah. don't remember. But I do love that she actually does come back for Creed 2. So I'm excited yeah. to uh, finally get to revisit uh, her in that film. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I kind of make a big deal that, you know, wait, you haven't seen Beverly Hills. I really haven't seen anything. Besides Cobra, obviously Red Sonja, Rocky Four, Cobra, and Beverly Hills Cop 2. I, I can't think of anything else that i've seen of hers either um, here's a here's a tidbit for you though oh, she was Did in portlandia you... uh, an episode of portlandia so oh that's funny i probably i probably lived that here's a random note did you know that between 1990 and 1992 uh she was married to orlando bloom's cousin sebastian copeland who is a director and photographer i did not know that there you go she is not russian obviously she's from denmark and dolph lundgren who is uh, from Stockholm, Sweden. I knew who uh, he was probably because of this movie, even though I had never seen this movie. Um, I guess he's briefly in A View to a Kill, although I really don't remember him being in it. I Largely, for me, it was Masters of the Universe, which oh, yeah. was a couple of years later as He-Man. And then it's films like I Come in Peace and You Go in Pieces, you know, <laughs> films like that and Universal Soldier and, and these movies that he was in. It, it just it set a place for him to be uh, very much kind of this direct to video um, action movie actor. And I that's kind of where I put him in my mind. And I've really never thought of him as anything else other than that. But I will say I was very excited when uh, Stallone brought him back along with all these other people to be in The Expendables and that whole franchise. Um, I thought uh, that was great seeing them reunited in that film. Of of anybody in any of these movies, I think I have the highest opinion of Dolph Lundgren uh, as a as a actor and as a uh, human. Uh, this he's an amazing guy. And uh, all the interviews I've watched of him are, you know, uh, he's appropriately you know, kind and, and generous to the people he works with. Uh, and he was great in this movie. I think he he plays a great threat uh, in this movie and the man of, of just stone. I think he's fantastic. He also, uh, if we haven't ever had an opportunity to mention this, he's an engineer. He's a world class uh, karate um, uh, competitor uh and got his uh he's, he's a fulbright scholar uh to mit uh um, yeah, he's a chemical engineer he's, chemical like he's engineer, got a yeah. master's in it yeah yeah he is a, he's a chemical engineer he is a he's just a brilliant brilliant hard-working professional and i i think he's and that he also has this um you know this angle of of being a, a performer in these action movies and and beyond i think he's just uh, he's just great. I think he's just he's he's an asset to the race, people, to the species. Uh, <laughs> he's the, this, the next Dolph step Lundgren. in evolution. It's it's ironic <laughs> that he really is. He should have won. <laughs> that would have oh. that would have that would have cemented it. Uh, so this is a question that I have for you then, because I felt like they were setting up this this story point about doping. Because they ask earlier yeah. in the press conference, you know, about him doping. And I have to point out, this is something that I, I wrote down because I was kind of shocked and surprised. So this is the press conference in, in with the U.S. press talking to uh, talking to the Russians. And one of the one of the members of the press stands up and actually comments on his freakish strength. 
And I'm like, is that something that they should say? That's like so inappropriate to actually talk that way. Um, but that, I, you know, it speaks to the writer, I guess. Okay, so they set up this doping thing because they ask him about that. And they're like, no, 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 it's all natural. He's just an amazing trainer and an amazing athlete. He's the next step of evolution, blah, blah, blah. And then later, and so I'm like, okay, we're totally setting up that whole doping thing. And, and we're going to find out about some doping going on later. And then we see him getting doped up later. And it never goes anywhere. Yeah. It never goes anywhere. Is this a story point we're going to come to in a later film? I I don't know. But it was very odd that they, I felt like they, they, they set it up. They introduced the fact that he really is doping, but then it's never dealt with. It is never dealt with. That's, that is true. It is just like the death of Apollo. It's another one of those things that gets, that gets cut for some weird reason in a movie that ends up being 90 minutes. If ever there is an example of a movie that is, that is way too short for its own class, it's this movie. I think they could have done so much more, uh, you know, if they'd actually, uh, given us something more than a couple of sitcoms. Yeah, I I feel like Sylvester Stallone started falling in love with just these montages to kind of move the story along and lost touch with uh, actually telling a good story. Yeah. And that is starting to frustrate me. Let's just do a a little rapid fire through some of the other uh, cast members. Talia Shire first up uh, as Adrian Balboa and... uh, It's both a highlight because it's an interestingly staged uh, scene. Her conversation with Rocky when she discovers that he's leaving, going to Russia, and he it's also weirdly written. And so it's it it's sort of forehead slappingly obvious uh, and telegraphed emotionally and and not nuanced at all about their relationship and the struggles they're having to the point where she yells, you can't win. I, I just I watch this scene and I just wish this were Rocky one again, because Everything about these people was was something that I liked more in Rocky one. This was I I felt like they were trying to give a little blend of Rocky one, Rocky two, because even at the beginning of this one, with all the press surrounding her and stuff, I was like, oh, we're kind of going back to the mousier uh, Adrian again. But then when she comes to Russia to talk to him, it was like the moment in Rocky two when she's like, just win. And I was like, okay, so I don't know. I, 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 I'm getting more frustrated with her as a character as these films continue because I, I probably in this situation, because I am not a boxer and I would have a hard time watching someone that I love doing this, I would probably be the Adrian character. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I can't wait uh, just to see your wife in the ring. I can bulk up at, at uh, some. Talk yeah, to her she's about that. She's good. You she's need to ready. start. You know what? What when she's sleeping, start measuring her biceps, and then just start handing her heavier and heavier things throughout the day, <laughs> and see if you can bulk her up for her Siberian adventure. <laughs> While we're at the gym, I'm just gonna yeah. secretly kind of, without her noticing, reach over and increase the incline on the treadmill. <laughs> Before she yes. knows it, she's like running That's up right. Everest. She's running straight up. <laughs> she's going to need ropes and a carabiner. You won't even know. She's, you won't even notice. You're going to be so subtle. Exactly. All right. Uh, who else? Uh, who else do you want to talk about? A few. A few. Just last little uh, interesting notes of names. Um, we've had uh, uh, sportscaster Stu Nahan um, in all of the films so far as the commentator on the fights. 
uh, Bill Baldwin is who he had always been commenting with up until this film, because Bill Baldwin actually died um, after Rocky three. And so they brought Warner Wolf in to replace him. So I, I, every time I see him, I'm like, Oh, it's great. It's always nice to see these familiar faces. Likewise. Um, I am starting to believe that the guy with the crazy mustache who, who we see, uh, introducing in the, in the ring right. as the, uh, as the, uh, I don't know what you call him. The, um, uh, the ringmaster. What do you call? What do you call that person? Yeah, I think no ringmasters in a circus. <laughs> yeah, the ring announcer. <laughs> the the announcer, ring announcer. Right. Um, that's Leroy Neiman who did the paintings in the last film. He's got that wackadoo mustache. Yeah, that's, uh, look at that. It's, it's a. It looks like it's. It was bought in one of those little things and like attached to his face. That's the artist <laughs> attached so, to his face. I love it. That's exactly. We also have back. Uh, this is. Um, uh, uh, Sylvia Meals back as as Apollo's wife Marianne. Um, this is her second time after uh, having uh, appeared in Rocky Two, and unfortunately, as I as I commented in that film or earlier, she is uh, she ends up dying unfortunately before uh, Creed rolls around. So she did not get to return to her part for that film, which was sad. Yeah, and then this is an another odd note or two two last notes. Uh, the robot. That Polly has. Uh, it was created by International Robotics Inc. Apparently, was might still be a member of the Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> How does that happen? Wouldn't it be the CEO, or is this just a gimmick? Like, isn't Robert? I think it's it be a gimmick. Robert Dornick. I, it's a gimmick. I think it's a total gimmick that the robot ended up getting in there. Um, but and it, it even toured with James Brown in the '80s, which I think is funny. But this robot, yeah. the whole point of this robot, the reason that it was written into the script is because Stallone's uh, son, uh, Sergio, who is autistic, he actually got one of these robots and it actually he used it to help treat his son. And because of that, um, felt a connection and wanted to include it, which I think is a really touching thing. But man, is it a terrible story, a story choice. You know what I think would have been would have made it better is there'd been more robots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can get you can actually get a robot if you're interested because international robotics actually still has a robust uh social robot rental um uh, uh angle and you can get them at internationalrobotics.com and they can be uh they can dance they can travel all over the world and speak any language uh you can you can do the funky chicken with a robot as they say on their website so a lot of opportunity to improve your um, your home and social life with a robot that looks exactly like this robot does in the in the movie still but can say. you program it to talk sexy to you y yeah like i imagine that does. you can i imagine that you can a special <laughs> model the the last uh the last cast member i wanted to point out was uh david lloyd austin who he plays the the person who kind of looks like gorbachev uh sitting up in the uh the russian bleachers watching the match and what I think is brilliant about this is he actually ended up playing Gorbachev in The Naked Gun, in uh, which I I love those moments in those films where Leslie yeah. Nielsen like wipes off his, uh, <laughs> his, <laughs> his little birthmark. Birth I knew it. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. It became a thing for him. Camera, uh, Bill Butler again. And wow, uh, I I just I wrote down. I do not see how his work does this material justice. 
this is what happens when you have a a great DP who ends up with a, a director who just I I just feel like he he other than getting some like dramatic shots of some of the characters with the lighting in the boxing rings and stuff, particularly Lundgren mm-hmm. when he's got the it's like the black uh the I don't know the tooth guard the the yeah, bite guard yeah. whatever that thing's called um and he kind of opens his mouth and it just looks like you know the skull face it's cool um there was some nice lighting effects in those scenes but you're right otherwise i just feel like this is an example of a director who doesn't have a good sense of that visual uh storytelling style paired with a great dp who's just doesn't doesn't get to play the way he should a little bit about locations no they didn't actually go to uh, Russia to do this uh, as far as I could find. They ended up doing filming the Siberian farm in Jackson Hole. Uh, it struggled, as you could probably predict, with freezing temperatures, damage to equipment. They they shot the uh, uh, the final fight was in the Agrodome Arena in Vancouver. Uh, and uh, Vancouver had a nice little um, uh, bump. They brought in 10,000 local residents to fill the auditorium and mill about the place. I think the auditorium, I, I read seats 6,000. So I didn't look that big to me. It actually felt uh, small and stagey. I'm not sure. So uh, they they brought 10,000 into a, a stadium that fits 6,000? No, it was, it was 10,000 Vancouver residents to fill the stadium and mill about uh, uh outside and around and you know wherever they need but we them. never see it outside i know it's very strange but apparently they just there left was four thousand people in the cold four thousand people you go, were you mill about Vancouver. we're gonna film inside mm-hmm. we got this boxing right. match to film that's right that uh the apollo drago fight was in the zigfield room at the mgm grand and um the balboa's finally if you're location hunting the balboa's home was in hancock park in los angeles 56 fremont place in LA. Uh, this same house has been used in Charlie's Angels and Weeds and The Artist and other places since then. It was originally owned by Mary Pickford. Well, that's a cool little bit of Hollywood history. Yeah. Well, I've got some interesting fight in- information for you. That's what I want to hear. Stallone said that when he and Lundgren first are uh, kicking off their fight, that they wanted, he wanted to capture a very realistic fight. And so he and and Lundgren agreed that they would actually do some legitimate uh, boxing. And, uh, but this is what happens when you do this. And again, when I'm watching, it all looks real. So I can't tell what's actual real boxing and what's fake boxing apparently. But um, Lundgren actually punched Stallone in the chest so hard that it knocked his heart into his breastbone and it caused his heart to swell. And he his he had trouble breathing. He had his blood pressure shot up. He had to uh, fly from the set to to Santa Monica and to go into intensive care. And and I guess that's why you don't do things like that when you're making boxing films, why you actually do set it up to to do fake boxing well let's remember what we said of lundgren he is a first of all a giant and he's a world-class karate competitor like he fights people for fun well i and i feel like he almost embodies the character well and this is another thing okay so stallone so apparently in the scene where um apollo is fighting drago in the exhibition uh match there's a point where um Dolph Lundgren, he picks up Carl Weathers and he tosses him 
across the ring. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently he really did this. And Carl Weathers got so mad, he stormed off of the set. He said, I'm calling my agent. I'm quitting. I'm done with this thing. And uh, and that was it. And Stallone actually had to bring the, the guys together and get them to talk and, you know, you know, kind of reconcile the whole thing. And it, but it stopped work for four days before uh, Carl Weathers finally was willing to come back. And he had wow. to agree. Lundgren had to agree to not be so aggressive. I, and I think it speaks to him as a young actor in a very physical field who didn't necessarily understand the difference between acting yeah. and boxing. Right. So and and Weathers is, you know, the elder statesman yeah. in this thing. It He's very he much is, right, right. Feels like they're actual characters. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, and then the last note I have is they actually used uh, real sound effects from real punches um, in the film. They they used a lot of uh, real, like uh, just new training methods, a lot of special effects. People say uh, like the, the sports equipment that they used, that some of this stuff was experimental at the point in the film. And it was it, it ended up being like 20 years before. Uh, before you know the public had actually caught up with this that's how far um they had a kind of uh i don't know if they were guessing with it or kind of putting some experimental equipment to use but it's amazing that they were so far ahead of the curve with kind of the the equipment that uh, drago was training with and uh, just a last note in uh, 2012 uh, michael phelps and ryan lochte two of the uh, u.s olympic swimmers they said that this film's training sequences um, inspired them to actually go rent a cabin uh, similar to, to how Rocky does. And I guess they went up away from the things of man and trained out in the wilderness. I was particularly moved by some of that uh, science uh, and the uh -huh. in particular, the, um, you know, watching Drago punch the red mat and register the pounds per square inch that right. the force so i'm wondering uh, if you feel like that is a a fair measure and and how much you could hit before i read you some statistics of actual boxers as far as because he goes from what 1800 pounds per square inch to over 2000 uh, yeah he hits you he saying, ends do up, i think that's the, the realistic final <laughs> is that he registers you know 2150 uh pounds per square inch in a single punch drago yeah I, I have no idea if that's realistic at all, but it seemed really high to me. Yeah, it turns out it's pretty high. Um, okay. And, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, mean, he is the next step in evolution. He is the next step in, in <laughs> evolution. And there have been a number of studies um, and uh, they, you know, I'm measuring 70 boxers here is seven boxers there here's a study from 1985 uh of frank bruno who was the world boxing champion heavyweight champ uh and he could stand in a lab and punch with a force of 920 pounds uh in in the lab uh researchers then extrapolated that a real life blow from him in the context of a fight uh, you know, motivated by adrenaline and whatever, uh, could probably get up to about 1420, 1420 pounds. Um, and, and that would be enough to accelerate his opponent's head at a rate of 53 G. That's 53 times the force of gravity. And so 
even at 1420, uh, you know, looking at, at Lundgren, I, I think he like, wouldn't that knock a head clean off? <laughs> <laughs> Not if it's made of steel, Pete. Not if it's made <laughs> of steel. <laughs> uh, so, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, it's it's a pretty serious thing when you when you think about, you know, poor Stallone's heart. Uh, that's powerful <laughs> shot i'm i'm not jealous just just to kind of put it in perspective uh, it's it's good to know like where an average person uh lands <laughs> with all of this true that's true looking looking at a a uh, a human a regular human punch I, I don't even know if it's it's a regular human punch like cuz those were those were very strong athletes that you're talking about oh, looking yes. at some some less strong people just like martial artists who are just doing some some uh, some power punches they're like in the 325 uh pounds per square inch range um their short range power punches are about 178 pounds and uh so I, I don't think that any of the metrics that I found even register or even bother to look at what just the regular man punches. But no, yeah, I, I'm guessing it's going to be probably less than 100 pounds per square inch. Right. I, I love this. Uh, here's a line back to the power punches. Even with Drago in the ring, boxing is a punishing sport. Damage comes from three things. Number one, the impact itself, which may be manifested in, say, a broken jaw. Uh, two, acceleration to the brain, leading to abrupt contact with the skull, uh, possibly resulting in concussion, probably resulting in concussion. And the rotational force that twists the brain within the skull, increasing the severity of injury and the likelihood of a knockout. And thus, Pete just sprouted three healthy new anxieties. <laughs> uh, we're back to music, Andy. Uh, Vince DiCola and so many songs. Vince DiCola stepped in to Rocky Four because Bill Conti was so busy with Karate Kid and Karate Kid Two that he couldn't handle uh, he couldn't handle the pressure, and uh, so uh, Vince DiCola stepped in and. That was one of the first things I noticed. And one of my first notes was, wow, this music sucks. It is so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was grateful for when one of Bill Conti's themes found its way into the film. But even then, I felt like Vince DiColo was screwing it up. But that being said, the film is full of music, as we've already discussed. It had a very popular soundtrack with tons of songs. Interestingly... The song Glory of Love by Peter Cetera, he actually wrote for the end title of this film. United Artists ended up passing it over and it landed as the theme for Karate Kid 2. <laughs> How funny is that? I love That's that awesome. song. It's, yeah, right. <laughs> there is a song uh, uh, Decola did write called War, which um, I can't recall it in the film, but... Um, it is a uh, it is a very popular song. Are you do you recall this song, War? Um, I in in fact I do because it is the song behind montage number seven, the final battle. And it is become it was like a huge huge uh, track to use in any NFL games during the eighties and nineties. Um, the sports uh, uh, the networks would use it in different intros for teams. And in montages about players 
and everything. It became a very popular uh, track. So it is one of those ones that is, um, I guess you could say, a well-known uh, piece of Vince DiCola and perhaps the only memorable thing about his music from this film. How to do an award season. It's, you know, it's at, it's, we're getting to that point. Nine wins and five other nominations. Most of those were Razzies. <laughs> <laughs> Although weirdly at the at, at the Napierville Cinema Festival, uh it Dolph Lundgren won the Marshall Trophy for best actor. So way to go Dolph. I'm impressed. Uh but yes, at the Razzies it did win for worst actor Sylvester Stallone for this and Rambo 2. Uh worst actress uh, uh supporting actress Bridget Nielsen for this and Red Sonia, worst director Stallone, worst new star Nielsen for this and Red Sonia. And the worst musical score. It was nominated also for worst picture. Lost to Rambo First Blood Part 2. Way to go, Stallone. Uh, Burt Young lost Best Supporting Actor to Rob Lowe for St. Elmo's Fire. Talia Shire lost Supporting Actress to her her co-star, Bridgette Nielsen. And Stallone lost uh, Best Screenplay to Rambo First Blood Part 2, which he also (laughs) (laughs) co-wrote. The Razzies really uh, were beating up on him this year. Tough year. I have this assumption that this is a movie that ends up going to uh, uh, going straight to the bank. I've already used that specific language. Did it, in fact, go straight to the bank? Oh, did it. Yeah, Stallone got a whopping $27 million to make the fourth entry into his franchise, which is about $62.7 million in today's dollars. The movie opened Thanksgiving week, November 27th, 1985, opposite Santa Claus, the movie. Guess which one I was at that weekend, Pete? (laughs) (laughs) And it easily took the number one spot for the five-day holiday weekend, which it held for six straight weeks. The story of Balboa against the evil Russian obviously hit a chord with mid-80s Americans as it went on to make $127.8 million domestically. And it did well overseas, too, earning $172.6 million, giving it a grand adjusted total gross of $673 million. That means this film had a higher gross than any of its predecessors and actually was the highest grossing sports film for 24 years until The Blind Side beat it out, not taking inflation to it into account. Once you do take inflation to account, though, it's actually the least profitable of the four films so far, but it did land with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $6.7 million, the second best just behind the original. So the plans for a sequel would inevitably get underway. And uh, just to be clear, Pete, I don't think that they were actually basing the decision to make a sequel on the adjusted profit per finished minute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. Well, that's because you hadn't invented it yet. I hadn't invented it yet. No, that's, that's right. right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I I feel like we have belabored this particular movie well longer than it deserved. Uh, sometimes the bad ones are fun to talk about. Sometimes they are, and I think it is time for us to rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this show and then click through a whole bunch of pages so that you get to see where this movie actually lands on our list. Because <laughs> it'll be at this the is, end. This is a fitting start. We're starting <laughs> off Rocky 4 or Rocky 3. Uh, I'm going to say Rocky 3. I guess I am too. There, yeah, there's a lot on par with these two films. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky Four or La Femme Nikita. La Femme Nikita, please. I will take Nikita. Rocky Four or Giant. I'm going to go with Rocky Four. Yeah, okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, this is of course. The thing. It's, totally. it's not a great movie, but it's 
it's entertaining. I was entertained for an hour and a half. Excellent. Rocky Four or post mortem? Well, it's going to be Rocky Four. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say Rocky Four as well. Rocky Four or Star Trek Five? <laughs> oh. oh God! Really? <laughs> what? What a what an amalgam! That is a a bleak pairing. Oh. I'm going to say Star Trek Five. Catwoman and all. Oh, oh God. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, I think so. With all of its problems. I, I don't know. I, I Now that I think about it, I am I feel a little uh, wishy-washy on this decision. Yeah, I feel like we got I, I here. Go we've got ourselves into this position. I'm, I'm going to stick with Rocky. All right. I'll give it to you. I don't know about that, but Rocky Four or the Parallax View, definitely Parallax. View. Oh, Parallax View, hands down. Rocky Four or Seconds, absolutely Seconds. Seconds. Rocky Four or Day of the Dead. I will take the zombies, please. Yes, yes, please. Rocky Four or Now Voyager. I'm going with some Betty Davis. Okay. Well, that lands Rocky Four in spot 305 on our chart. Well, that's pretty low. 305 out of, uh, where are we at? 390. Wow. It's about a 22%. Well, that's not great for old uh, Rocky Four. How did it land on your personal chart? This one landed at 1804 out of 4093, which is higher than I think it should land. But I think it's... It goes to kind of the weirdly entertaining elements of it, you know, like there are some better films, but I may not find them quite as entertaining as this one. So that's how it ended up landing in that position. Yeah, I ended up with uh, 672 out of 1057, which puts it at a 36 percent on my overall chart. If I'm going by the algorithm uh, and and migrate that over to letterbox.com slash the next reel, that should be a two star uh, film. And I I think it probably would have been a five star if I were 12 years old. (laughs) Um, but but after our conversation today i'm leaning towards sticking with that maybe even one and a half uh but you can bet there's a heart attached to it so one and a half and a heart huh (laughs) i like how you finished that making that decision for me i didn't know andy until you you said one and a half well i ended up at a two star but i still have a heart it's it's one of those things where there's there's enjoyment to be had here Oh, yeah. Even if even if I'll be rolling my eyes through robots and all that. But you get to all those montages that that half hour of montages in this film. It does. It does make me smile. So that's where I sit. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with two stars because I don't think I feel comfortable having brought this whole series to the show and actually rating any of these movies lower than you. That feels like (laughs) feels like a mistake. So. Whatever you rate it, it's always going to be at or above. There you go. Oh, I see. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. an interesting way to go about it. What if yeah. I said five stars? Absolutely five at, stars. Yes, five, five and a half stars and a heart. <laughs> Two hearts. <laughs> Two beating hearts. Uh, all right. Well, that that cleans us up with the, the Rocky Four. We're clean with Rocky Four. We can move on. And, and uh, where, Andy, where do we go from here? What do you know about the next Rocky movie. 
Well, it's uh, Rocky Five. It's five years later. We're returning to John G. Avildsen as director after the original Rocky film. My recollection of this, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, but it's it, it's later. I don't know. Later in life is right, but he uh, his his son is boxing now or something, and he has to like train his son to box. That's my recollection, but I don't even know if that's accurate. Yeah, is that uh, I, is, it, is it involving his son, I, like in a strange son relationship or something? Right. Well, no, it, no, it, it's not. Okay. It's not his son. It's but there is a protege. I think that may be what you're thinking about. Like there's he he tries. It's it's. Let's just say it's the Yoda kind of Luke Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker sort of thing, right? He's now he's 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 got a new. He's got a new Padawan. Okay. And things he's don't got go well. Right. Yeah, okay. there is. I mean, the, his son is in it, but that's not the boxing part. Oh, okay. That's. I guess in my head, I always thought it finally ends where he has to train his son to box. Yeah, so. and this is this is the. Uh, yeah, it's the most notable is this movie is where they lose a, a lot, and as a result, the fighting takes a new direction, a fun new direction, and so that's what we'll have to see if you. Uh, if you jive with it, uh, the IMDb uh, uh, the IMDb does not jive with it. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see if you agree. Well, if you want to hear more of us, but you can't wait until next week's show, check out the, our new show, The Marvel Movie Minute. We're talking about the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time, starting with 2008's Iron Man. You can support that show and all of our shows over on patreon.com slash the next reel, and you can get access to our exclusive members-only weekend show, The Saturday Matinee. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The kids have spoken, Andy. Oh, they have. Yes, indeed. Thanks to the kids at commonsensemedia.org who have gone in and they have reviewed Rocky Four, and they have something to say. Now, I have gone with a, a, a high star rating. Uh, I, my, I, I feel like you probably have gone that direction. I have. All right. Why don't you kick us off? I've got a uh, 14-year-old, Sam Fan 4, who says this movie is for ages 9 and up and rated it 5 stars out of 5 and says, hearts on fire. This movie is most likely the best Rocky movie there is. I watch the fight scene at the end almost every day. There is no Rocky movie better. This title contains positive messages and positive role models. Wow. Well, mm-hmm. uh, Brian is 15 years old. He says this movie is rated for kids 12 and up. Gives it five stars. Best Rocky movie ever, period. In Rocky IV, the story is simple. Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone, Rambo has been going through retirement process before Rocky IV. Then the Russians invade boxing. And Rocky's friend Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers, Predator, challenges the giant Russian Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren, to an exhibition fight. Ivan kills Creed in the ring and Rocky challenges Drago to avenge Apollo's death. Filled with 80s music montages and one bloody fight at the end, Rocky IV proves to be the greatest. It's the first blood of the Rocky series. (laughs) (laughs) 
that is the fantastic. It, apparently, series. it also contains positive messages and positive role models. Uh, yeah, they agreed. They, they really did. They agreed. It's the first blood of the Rocky series. So what <laughs> is the Rocky of the first blood series? What is the Rocky of the first? Uh, that might be an question. excellent be, double feature. Would it be Rambo? It might be. A, it's. It would be. Uh, yeah, I think it. It might be. Now I feel like we're going to have to do the uh, the Rambo films as a as a series down the road, so we well, can answer know, that question. That's written in the stars, Andy. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Thanks, kids. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.